This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome. Uh, We have uh, a a special treat today. My guest is C.K. Westbrook. She is the author of a fascinating trilogy, the Impact Series. Today we will talk about the first book of the series, The Shooting. C.K. is also an environmentalist who lives and works in the Washington, D.C. area. She's worked with the U.S. Congress and many administrations to try and protect our water, air, and wildlife from pollution, abuse, and exploitation. She is a self-described old-school news junkie. We have that in common, actually. I am as well. Uh, The state of the planet and the news is generally bleak, as we know, and it is depressing. So to escape reality, CK creates intriguing characters in a creative, uh, fictitious, fictional world. The world these characters live in may also be dark and scary, but they have fantastic adventures which impact their planet. In addition to creating imaginative stories, CK breaks free from daily life with an intense passion for travel. She's been to all seven continents. She grew up in Florida, not far from the Kennedy Space Center, and has a bachelor's degree from Florida International University and a master's degree from George Washington University. CK loves weaving real world topics and crises into suspenseful sci-fi and fantasy. Now, we can tell you this at the end. To learn more about C.K. Westbrook, please go to www.ckwestbrook.com and the Four Horsemen, uh, fourhorsemanpublications.com. And she can tell you her um, other information at the end. Okay, so why don't we move right on into your work, C.K.? I think this is a very important trilogy you have written. It's, it's riveting, as I've told you, spellbinding, and it was really hard for me to put this down. And I will admit, I mostly read nonfiction, but this was excellent. It's really superb. Um, there's also a very clear message. So I wonder uh, when you first got the idea to write this novel. Uh, sure. And first, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak to a somewhat different audience than I usually do. Um, so it was the pandemic. 
we, everyone, you know, was at home. It was right at the beginning. It was very dark and scary. People were dying. There was um, the 24-hour news of watching hospitals overflow with bodies. And I had previously, well, just because it was a pause during the pandemic, been active with the anti-gun violence movement, going to protests and just horrified by what was happening with gun violence, still am. And I kind of pulled these two things together and I just started writing. And I think it, it was a way to get like some of my anxiety and stress during that horrible period out. And it just flowed out of me. The story just kept coming and coming and just kind of pulling these things together. And um, and that was that was how and when I wrote the shooting. Well, that that makes a lot of sense, having lived through that period, uh, as we all have. In the shooting, the first book of the series, there seems to be a blend of reality woven into a fantasy that is gripping, action-packed, and mesmerizing. Assuming I'm right about that, are the real parts of the books facts you think that are important for readers to know about, or should one consider this fiction all around? Um, a lot of it is based in facts. There is discussion about gun violence and a lot of the stats and figures are correct. There's discussion about uh, pollution all over the place and waters, oceans, space. That's all factually correct. There is, um, I mean, obviously there's a mass shooting, a global mass shooting, and that's uh, fictional and, and from my imagination. But, and, and so many things have changed so quickly. When I wrote this, Gun violence was not the number one cause of death for children in America. That that just, I think that statistic pushed accidents just recently. So um, it was, a lot of it is very accurate for the time that it was written, but things do change quickly. And also some of it, of course, is um, fictional. And I think people can pretty much tell the, the difference. Yeah, I, I think that some of it, of course, is uh, you can tell the fiction from from what what appears to be factual to me, more more like the statistics. That's what I was really asking about, which I right, guess you're saying. Like the global mass shooting, right? Almost every gun owner in the world turns their weapon on themselves in a terrifying 15 minute window. That's clearly fiction, science fiction. But right, there is interwoven a gun debate, you know? And it's like people talk about different sides of, of the gun uh, issue. That's where a lot of the statistics, if not totally accurate, were based on accuracy. And also, like I'm just saying, things have changed. Things have gotten worse than when I actually wrote the book. And this book, the shooting was published in March of 2022. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Everything changes so fast. So, yeah, that, that was my uh, my hypothesis. Well, not my, my assumption that it probably was the statistics were factual when you wrote it. But you know, numbers change pretty rapidly. So uh, my next question, I'm, I'm glad you wrote three books because your ideas are so compelling and interesting, but why a trilogy? Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts about that? Could have been one book. Um, I personally like three, but I'm just curious. When I started to write the shooting, it just kind of poured out and I saw kind of a natural ending to it. But then I had all these other ideas. So I was kind of trying to push it into one book and it's very suspenseful. So like you were saying, kind of riveting page turning to keep that level of suspense up. Um, 
when you're writing, you know, you have to take it down and up and down and up. It's a little bit different than TV and movies. So I, I decided to kind of stretch it out into two. And then I had these other great ideas. So it's like, this can be a trilogy. And, um, and it just kind of made sense again, because it is really suspenseful and you have to be able to pull back and still do character development. Um, and then I will add this, that publishers and publishing houses love trilogies. They have been uh, financially successful in other areas and publishers are, you know, um, for profit or, or, you know, like most things in the, in the entertainment industry, their intent is to make money. So I would say when I was looking for a way to pitch my trilogy, you know, Four Horsemen Publications, who ended up, who are the publishers, love trilogies. So it was just a natural thing. Interesting. Uh, what is the most interesting or surprising thing you learned while researching and writing the shooting? I, I'm a, an environmentalist, right? So I work with, you know, environmental laws. And when I started writing the shooting, I did a lot of research on gun violence. And I knew it was bad from the rallies and from reading the things in the newspaper, but I'm not like uh, totally in that world. And it was way worse than I even imagined. And um and the psychological toll that gun violence is taking on Americans was, is, is just, you know, not everyone dies in the gun shootings. A lot of people survive and that's a whole other level of stress um, and, and recovery and injury and hospital bills. And there's just all these things that I kind of like try to bring the, that stress and the darkness of gun violence in. But I think also I knew about space debris. I knew about issues with space. As an environmentalist, there are literally environmentalists who specialize in trying to protect space, but I don't think I realized how horrible the problem was. So it's kind of like the size, you know, I'm used to the extinction, biodiversity extinction crisis and the climate crisis and the water pollution crisis. But then to see just the enormity of these problems. And again, similar to environmental problems, the government is not addressing it at all at the level that these, these things need to be addressed. So I would also add in that, like, I guess that was just more frustration that the problems were as big as they are and being neglected. Yeah, uh, now that I think about it, and I, this occurred to me as I was reading these books, you really don't hear about space debris that often. I mean, yes, we know there's some there, but the way it's described, it, it really is an eye-opener. Eye to think about how much there is. So I'm glad you're bringing that to people's attention. Okay, so uh, next question. How, how did your professional life or life experiences help you with the research or influence the stories? I, I guess in part you said that it's part of the work you do, but there might be other things. Uh, I, as an environmentalist that lives and works in Washington, DC, you know, I lobby, I'm up on the hill, so I know how laws are written, I know how laws are weakened, I know how they switch over with administrations. Um, early in my career, I worked for the government, so I kind of know how the government works, and I feel like what I put it into the to the book with, with uh, Space Force and referencing like different agencies and how um, things are done or not done, that came from a lot of my personal experience in my, my career. And also, again, going back to the environment where I just felt so frustrated, I have felt frustrated for years that it's not getting the attention that it needs, then just kind of applying that to these other issues. I mean, people in the gun violence world and definitely in space debris must be like just wanting to bang their head against the wall 
by the lack of attention that's given to it. Yeah. And like when the Kessler effect, if it happens, right? If it if one piece of debris hits another piece of debris that hits another piece of debris in low earth orbit and causes like a catastrophe for our cell, I mean, it could happen. And then it's going to, I'm going to feel frustrated if it happens, when it happens, and people act like they had no idea that something this catastrophic could happen. And yes, it can absolutely take out astronauts and space tourists. And um, and we don't even know like how big it could be because, you know, oh, I shouldn't talk about that. Anyway, yes, these things are like huge issues, hugely important issues. Well, I think it's important that you brought that up because I, I was going to ask you about that. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that phenomenon. So I, I think it's I think it's important. Uh, in what way is the book you wrote uh, different than the one you set out to write? I mean, if, if that happened to you, it happens a lot. Uh, that's happened with me. I thought I was writing about one thing, which I was, but it turned out to be a bit different. So did that happen with these books with you? I, yes, in one way, I did not expect it to be about feminism as much as it is. Like I had the image of what would happen with Kate and why she kind of evolved into the person she did. But when I was finished with it, I was like, wow, this is a lot of, of feminism and, and attached to like white misogyny and, I don't want to go too much into it, but like why Kate becomes what the woman she becomes. And I think that is interwoven in all three books. And I didn't definitely, like I have people that come up to me and they're like, oh, I love all the feminism. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, cool. Um, again, it just, it was just there. I think more so than I, than I realized when I was writing it. Yeah, I'm just realizing that it's, it's harder to talk about um fiction, I think, because you don't want to give away the punchline in, you know, if you're writing about history or a, psycho, a psychoanalytic concept, I mean, people more or less know what it is, you might be going into more detail, but it's interesting to talk about a book without talking too much about it. So yes, you've already said it. So Kate is the major heroine in this story. Okay, so um, how about this? Persuade someone to read your book in 50 words or less. Okay. Most science fiction has a catastrophic event. In this series, the catastrophic event is when almost every gun owner in the world turns their weapon on themselves in a terrifying 15-minute window. Why? How? And will there be more violence? To find out the answer is these, you have to read the shooting. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I know how intriguing that is. So. I hope other people understand it. Yeah, it's it's uh, a pretty um, major start with what you've already said about what people do in the beginning. So I'm glad you said that. I probably wouldn't, but I'm glad you did. I don't. I wouldn't have wanted to give anything away. But um, it is really tricky because it's like I keep saying to myself whenever I talk to people, I just focus on the shooting. Just focus on the shooting. And also um, the, but the other books were so great. Like I just totally want to talk about them, but yeah, it's, it's better to, got to start with the shooting anyway, right? <laughs> you do. And the other books I agree are great. You, gotta, you have to start with the shooting. Otherwise there, there isn't a trilogy. Okay. So uh, this is something that uh, 
I, I was really intrigued with the idea of fiction versus nonfiction. You certainly could have written a book about the environment. You could have talked about all the facts you've learned for all of the years that you've been working with environmental issues. You could have talked about space debris, et cetera, et cetera. Why fiction? Uh, I think the major themes and messages in the book, uh, they could have been incorporated, as I said, into a, a nonfiction book. Could you tell readers why, why fiction? Sure. Um, since there's so many issues, pollution, gun violence, um, women's issues, and uh, space debris, I feel like that would be like seven nonfiction books. <laughs> I mean, like you could literally, I mean, each one of those could be, you know, years long researches and dissertations and and, then, and they've been done. I mean, there are people that are experts in all of those areas. And I definitely did a, a lot of research and a lot of reading um, and relied and appreciate all that, that research that had been done. Um, I would say there is a lot of non, there's, there's a distinction too, right? People that read nonfiction and generally don't read a lot of fiction and the other way around, right? So that's what I found. And um, nonfiction readers, they know how to go and find that research and get it and, and, but I'm trying to reach a broader audience. I wanna reach people who maybe haven't put these things together because they're, they are interconnected. Um, and even in the nonfiction world, even when you're trying to pitch to uh, publishing houses, it, it's hard to talk about multiple topics. Um, in the enviro world, we call it a cumulative impacts, right? Like when you have a body of water that is polluted by fertilizer and nitrogen and septic tanks and chemicals and all these other things. The government and the world tends to take one chemical and analyze the impacts to that water source, the human body, toads, birds, everything. But it's the cumulative impacts, I think, that breaks down the system, right? I mean, that's when the water becomes a dead zone in the uh, Mississippi, I mean, in the, in the um, Gulf or destroys an entire lagoon, like an Indian River Lagoon. So you have to look at the cumulative impact. So this book is kind of about the cumulative impacts of a virus and gun violence and all these things that are happening. And it's a dark story. I think psychologically, just like in the real world, when you combine all these things together, it makes people depressed. You know, it's like, like a, there's like a, a malaise that has taken over um, because nothing is really addressed. And I just feel like, again, with nonfiction, it is very, and even though that's almost unfair, just to say a nonfiction book on gun violence, that there's like 50 different elements to that, right? You can talk about suicide and you can talk about um, crime and you can talk about drugs and you can talk about defense. And so, um, so I think I kind of try to pull it all together and make it, it's weird to say, it, entertaining so that more people might read it and see how everything is connected more so than I think people that would, would pursue these topics strictly in a nonfiction world. Uh, that makes a great deal of sense to me. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, you would have to write a lot of books to get everything in that, that you covered. So it makes a great deal of sense. Okay, a little bit a uh, question about uh, the heroine. Kate values truth enormously and she struggles when she thinks she has to tell half truths or lies. Give some examples, if you can, of her conviction and conflict in this story. What does she think about the comfort and ease or, or 
lack thereof of lying um, displayed by individuals and society? Oh, I think, I think she's generally like an honest person and really values honesty. And then moving through the world, um, it's, it's like two things. It's like the, the government, corporation, kind of society's lies that, you know, things are better than they are. And, and then her realization that they're not. And also um, some of the things she has to say to people that she loves so that she can go off and do things. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like conflict for her um, but in the end, I think she thinks that honesty across the board with everything would have been better for everybody, you know, um, and transparency and openness. So I think she does struggle. I just don't want to be too specific about the things I think she struggles with the most. Um, but there's definitely like a struggle. And I would say, again, kind of going back into my professional world, like sometimes I feel like environmentalist, we are, are constantly saying, hey, there's a massive problem. You know, let's clean up this water for our own public health or let's clean up this water because we're having a, um, a mass bird die off and we, we're in the sixth mass extinction. And it's not that people don't believe us, I guess. It's just like they have this capacity to, I don't know, sometimes think maybe we're exaggerating or at least previously had now that we're in the, the time of global warming and in the time of an extinction crisis, they're seeing it with their own eyes. But people, we have been talking about this for 25 years, you know, if not longer. Um, so I feel like some of that may have been like frustration in my world too, where you keep saying there's something going on here and it's almost like you're not believed or considered unimportant. So I feel like some of that got channeled into Kate. Well, I think that's good. I, I was particularly interested in her character because I'm I'm really interested in this idea of truth, and I'm actually writing a book on, uh, I don't know the title yet exactly, but searching for truth, uh, pivoting towards evidence. And I, particularly in this day and age where there's so much fake news, false information, and anything, anything goes. I mean, it, there does seem to be, at least in this country, a new normal. People just, well, we know politicians say anything and that's, you know, it, it's, they are fat, their facts, quote unquote, become the truth. So uh, I thought her character uh, exemplified the struggle, but, but for some people it is, it's not that much of a struggle. So um, for others, I don't know if they know the difference anymore. And I would, I would really agree with that. And I feel like it, it, it's fallen more apart because of the political situation and also because of like what happened during the pandemic. I mean, one of the things that drives me crazy about the pandemic was it was caused by exploitation of animals, right? Putting two species that should not be near each other together when they are sick because they are distressed from being treated horrifically. Viruses jump when, uh, when your immune system is low, which is what happens when the animals are stressed. You know, we have the H1, uh, N1, we've had MERS, we've had SARS, we've had so many of these viruses before. Now they're just starting to happen more and more often. And then somehow even research into the cause and then somehow taking actions to prevent it was politicized. I just sit there like stunned, like, you know, a million Americans died, people died worldwide and we should have been able to come together and say, let's at least agree on these facts or find out 
the way the governments behave, I just, it just kind of blows my mind. And I really think it shattered what was left of trust, which I think had been already being lost because of social media. You know, like in the old days before social media, you had to know who was talking to you and you had to like somewhat have some trust in them. Um, and with with the social media and just bots and so much false information. And then it just cracked the trust of of Americans. And I think a lot of people worldwide, it's just pretty despicable what happened during the pandemic. Yes, and unfortunately, it's not over. I heard the other day of somebody who's running for president. I won't, I won't mention who it is, but uh, he was on a podcast and he uh, is saying that the uh, pandemic was just a myth or at least COVID the COVID uh, virus, it, it doesn't, it didn't really exist. Vaccines are worthless, et cetera, et cetera. This is somebody who's running, should be the president of the United States. And he was really uh, shaming or trying to shame, not shaming, but, but attempting to really discredit one of the doctors who was on regularly reporting on uh, the status of, of what was going on. A very educated, uh, a very well thought of person, and it's just it's it's uh, despicable, actually. Uh, that's why this this search for truth. We we have to try to find a way to pivot back in that direction. Somehow. Absolutely, we must to survive as a democracy, to survive as a race. And we were, I mean, and I mean species. It's a uh, we're yeah we're in some really uncharted territory and we need to regain trust. Yes, it, uh, Tristan Harris, I, I don't know if you know him, he started a, a, a group, but he used to be an ethicist at uh, Google. And he, he writes a lot about these sorts of things. And uh, one thing he says is if we don't find a way to recapture truth we're we're going to be toast so there are a lot of people who think we just can't continue on this particular path well that's why that, i can't wait to i can't wait to hear what you think of of the second and third book <laughs> but i can't yeah. say anything i'm sorry i won't i have a lot of thoughts about them uh, the concept of being safe is addressed in the shooting in different ways can you name a couple uh, that might come to your mind uh, and well, the contradictions around the circumstances of being safe? Yes, the, the big one is guns. I feel like people think guns make them safe, right? That's the number one reason most people will claim that they have a gun is to make them feel safe. And then, but do they? In the book, clearly not. Um, there is a mass shooting. Uh, and also the debate and some of the statistics and no, guns do not necessarily make you safe. I mean, I don't want to go too much into it, but it's kind of like that's like the kind of contradiction. Um, people will talk about, this is going to my environmental world again, like plastics make us safe, right? For medical and they're lighter and they're so much better. And then they're in our systems and in our bodies and they're causing us cancer and they're causing these huge global, global huge problems. So like there's just this this thing that we have that we think things make us safe when they don't, and we should kind of back up and do it in like a 
deep think about where is again the truth and what is marketed or perceived or you know told to us from, for example, ExxonMobil. Um, and then people repeat it. And then so yeah, there is a lot of things that are, I think we are we convince ourselves that make us safe and they clearly do not. Yeah, absolutely. Just to touch a little bit on the characters, uh, Kate and Kyle experience a range of emotions while processing the impact of the mass shooting. How, how are they different? Maybe how are they similar? Um, just watching what I say, because I don't want to give something away. The Kate's initial reaction is to go and help, be helpful, right? Which I think is kind of common in some crises. Like a lot of people were like, let me give blood or I'm going to you know, donate food. I mean, that's, there's always the helpers. There's always the good people. And Kyle is there with her. Absolutely. Um, but then they kind of branch off a little bit. I think people handle stress differently. Um, chronic long-term stress is handled differently. And um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of the part of the process, but I don't want to give too much away. Sure. So I, I think there are psychological aspects in this book as well, based on what you just said how people deal differently with things, even well-intended people. Um, some people, well, in this case, want to pitch in and help, but then may back away, whereas the other person keeps moving forward. Not to get into it too much, but uh, Kate had an experience many years ago in another state, in a Western state, how do you think she would have handled the situation differently if she knew then uh, what we now know about the mass shooting? Is that a fair enough question? Yes, I'm still gonna be a little bit careful. We'll talk about like, I think we are all products of our childhood and our past. And then we become the human we are based on um, everything together, right? Like parents and school and the adults that we become. Um, I think once she, once the mass shooting happened, I, you know, I think she would have been, no, you know, in some ways she handled it very well. I mean, she's a kid. What are you going to do? Right. You know, you, you do the best you can. I think we know a lot more and, and things would have been, well, you know what? I can't even say that. There was a, a case recently blew me out of the water, how they treated a 13 uh, year old girl who, who tried to do something good. Um, and I was like, whoa, that's, I think I've heard that story somewhere. But so I can't say that the world has changed that much. I'm not sure. I think Kate would have changed based on, on what her, what her, uh, experiences had been, but yeah, it's a little difficult to say, cause I don't want to say, give it away. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to talk around the edges of some of these things. Um, this story focuses on the tendency to blame the messenger which is something that I write about, not in those terms, but it's blame shifting. Uh, it's not me, it's you. Uh, it's, you know, I'm never the person who, who has done anything wrong. You or somebody out there beyond me has done it. Um, particularly when something as incomprehensible as the shooting occurs, but, but with little things. Uh, how realistic did you find Kate's experience to be in terms of blaming others, not blaming others? Oh, I, I think it was extremely realistic. People want a scapegoat. Um, 
and it is on huge levels, right? It was easier to blame the Chinese and to like blame the Chinese government than like doing a deep dive into why, where all these viruses, and, and I mean the zoonotic, the horrible, deadly, terrifying ones that become pandemics come from. So that was kind of like shift the blame, don't address anything else or even other responsibilities. Um, to, as an environmentalist again, you know, we say things and then not necessarily mine, but some characters are ripped apart. Like you were referencing a doctor who was a leader during the COVID. So there's character assassination, uh, blame the messenger. Um, it's like the strangest thing too. And it's even down to the individual level. And I'm not talking about this in the book, but it's kind of like, these are, these are themes that are interwoven in the book, but um, you know, I don't, I don't eat meats and I'm a vegan, but people will sometimes see me like wearing a leather shoe and then they'll be like, huh, you're not really a vegan. And I'm like, well, don't let my mistake, my one screw up, let, let you off the hook for not doing anything. You know, like, I just feel like there's, there's this, it, you know, in the old days they called it gotcha, right? Like a trick question or something. But I feel like there is just this absolute, uh, cognitive dissonance, like, not taking blame, um, saying one thing, doing another thing, claiming you feel bad about it, but not bad enough to do anything about it. So I feel like there, that's it's all tied in the end with the trust issues. So yeah, I feel like hate is blamed. I shouldn't say that. But yeah, I mean it's written on the back of the book. It's in the summary um, because the government is looking for someone to be the bad guy that they can take down, that they can blame, that everyone will feel better because she did it. You know, like, and I feel like that's a natural tendency for humans, and it's. Kind of on steroids nowadays um, to snap judgments, making decision calls based off of, I don't know, tweets or something rather than evidence. And then of course, if you feel like you're, or if some leaders or whatever feel like they're up against the wall, just, you know, character assassinate the person. It's just, yeah. And that's done on all different levels and interwoven in the book. Well, if you think about politics and politicians these days, how often do you hear anybody admit that they've done something and apologize for it, or at least even they acknowledge it? Um, I, I, it doesn't happen with regularity. You know, it's, it's strange too, because I've noticed this, uh, I've, this is no scientific research. I feel like women are more inclined to acknowledge that they made a mistake and then like apologize and move on because life is full of mistakes. We are all human beings. That's, but then women are held account. Like it's almost like they're judged more harshly for having said they made a mistake. So it's like this double-edged sword, you know, like it's like if you, I, I mean, I'm not saying that, so not all women, but I mean, like I was just thinking of, you know, uh, Yellen and some other people in high levels and and not even on all different levels, they, they say they made a mistake and it's, becomes like their one accomplishment. <laughs> like it's just, it's very sexist. I'm just saying it's a very sexist situation. And I feel like um people don't like to assume responsibility. Absolutely. That's what most of my books are about in one way or the other. Um, yeah. They don't I, adding the that it happens mostly with women when they do come forth and say yes, yes, I was the one who did it. That that's an interesting way to think about it uh, and just in terms of misogyny too uh, well we, we know uh, some men in these these groups um, the hyper masculinity groups 
on the web, I, I don't think they are particularly inclined to come forth and say, yeah, I, I, I was the one. So it's an interesting perspective on it. I would, I would add to that. It's not even just making mistakes, just admitting that you were wrong in the way you think about something. Like that seems very difficult for some people, especially right on the, on the internet. And um, yeah, so that's kind of goes back. I, I mean, what do they say? Like 90% of our prisons are full of men, right? 90% of violent crime is caused by men. 90% of, of, and I think some of it is again, is like, like not being able to admit you're wrong and then like doubling down when you are wrong. And it's just, and it gets into this vicious cycle. And sometimes the worst in a weird way is when they succeed at it, as we know, and some people in politics um, have done. So that kind of like encourages other people. It's, it's just a pretty vicious, bad cycle. Yeah. I think it's so important for people to be able to admit when they've done something. In my first book, I, I wrote about, or I tried to weave in a little bit about the genocide in Rwanda that occurred in um, 19, I believe it was 90. Uh, and uh, it could have been 94, but, but anyway, how the Hutus and the Tutsis were able to come together and live side by side although they had done horrific things to each other's families, but they borrowed Desmond Tutu and Nelson, Nelson Mandela's truth and reconciliation uh, model, wherein the person who was accused of something had to at least admit that they did something. I don't think they had to apologize, but they had to admit it. And I think it's really important to be able to admit it, which is, I think, part of what you're talking about. So um, without going, well, I don't think we want to go into the next two books in terms of specifics, but the next book is The Collision, and it's equally as fascinating, um, fascinating plus maybe just because you get further into the story. And then the last one is The Judgment, which is also uh, extremely interesting and, and puts everything together. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to the about the next two books without saying too much? Yes. Um, so gun violence, pollution, exploitation of natural resources and people, um, the way we treat uh, women or, you know, different sectors of, of society, you know, it's all interconnected and, and in the stories all the way through, I think it's interconnected again. It just shows that um, in a weird way, all these issues are the same, right? They're all being abused and we need to speak up and, and it's like education and work harder. So I feel like the books still, it's just like they, they I don't wanna say intersectionality because that's more about specific people um, but it's just like the crossroads of all these different issues. And I think people will find it interesting because like I said at the beginning, there's not often when you talk about all these different issues and how they are connected, but I think all of us rational people see it in society like all the time. So I'm hoping that people will, um, it's a weird way to say enjoy because I feel like the series is really good and it is entertaining because it is so suspenseful right up to the last page of, of judgment. Um, but there's a lot to learn in there as well. So I feel like um, 
I don't want to be too specific because, but I think people will enjoy all three books. I, I actually agree. And if I hadn't read them, I would wonder about the word enjoy too, but I think they are informative, suspenseful, and I do think that they're enjoyable. Um, and I think, uh, at least in my experience, I, I I read them very quickly. And it's because I, I wanted to pick them up again. I didn't want to leave it for very long, the one I was reading. So, so I think you did an excellent job. Uh, any uh, secrets about what you're currently working on? Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, it's titled The Aftermath. That might change, but right now that's what I'm calling it, The Aftermath. And it's taking five, it takes place five years after the mass shooting. So it's like, is it a dystopian world? Is it like, is it a wonderful place? Is it, you know, like there's so many different ways that it could go. And I'm like having so much fun, like writing it. <laughs> um, and that should be published at the end of the year, probably like I'm aiming for October, November, but things can slide. Um, so I'm very excited to get that out. That sounds great. Did, did you say the aftermath? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, that sounds true. Oh, and I would say too, like uh, my publishers, what we've been talking about is it's a standalone. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's five years after the mass shooting, but you can, as of now, you can read the aftermath without having read um, shooting collision and the judgment. Um, and I had to make that clarification, but it's also somewhat similar and it's me. So it's a, but that's, I'm very excited about that one. It, it sounds very exciting. And particularly since I've read the other three books. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'll have to have you come back and talk about that in addition to the two other books that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, is there anything else you would like to say about the shooting or uh, the trilogy in general? Um, I would say that I, I was just at Awesome Con and for the people that listen to this, they might not even know what that is, but Awesome Con and Comic Con, and they're all about comic books. And these are people that kind of worship science fiction and fantasy. And, you know, um, when I was young, it was like guns, it was, um, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and Star Wars and Star Trek, but it's come like to this big thing. Like, it's just pretty amazing. So I, I feel like it's very interesting to me, the people who love these books, like definitely the science fiction people are loving them and fantasy people and people like that are very serious, like psychiatrists and doctors. And, you know, like I just, so I'm, I'm very, like, I'm so happy because I wanted these stories to get out and it's, and I'm just really enjoying that they're getting out and I really appreciate it. And so I, you know, go to book signings and I go to different places to try to, you know, get these stories out into the world. Um, and if anybody is interested, I have a, like you started out, I have a web address, www.ckwestbrook.com. And in there it has events and it's got places that I go to sign books. And if anyone has any suggestions, I'm totally willing to do that um, or go speak or be on panels. Um, so, you know, that's just another element of this, which I'm thoroughly enjoying, which is just talking to people about these books. Great. I think people can find you on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, right? And TikTok. Um, and when you go to the website, there's one of those, those QR codes that takes you to all my social immediately. So, um, yeah, I'm brand new to TikTok just in the past few months. It's an interesting world. Okay. So it's, um, so your address on on these uh, various social media 
platforms, uh, I know they're a little bit different. CK, Westbrook, uh, what is it on Facebook or and TikTok and Instagram? On, on Facebook, it's ckwestbrook.author. I think it's the same on TikTok because you kind of have to make the distinction. Um, I think on Instagram, it's the same way. It's like ckwestbrook.author, but it's or author.ckwestbrook because I mean, you know, these names get taken and then you have to like make a distinction. On Twitter, it is, yes, it's CK Westbrook if you put it in, but it's dot, there is an author in there. Yeah, that's just it. If, you, if it doesn't pop up automatically, add the word author and it'll pop up. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's been very enjoyable at talking with you today and we'll set something up for discussions about the collision and the last book, which is The Judgment. Excellent, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Okay, bye-bye.